Well, good, mor- uh, good morning, good evening, sorry. Um, I don't even know what time zone I'm in, maybe, I don't know, but uh, uh, it's good to, good to be here and good to see you folks again. It's been a while since we've been here. And so I do want to introduce my family. They, every time they say, make sure you introduce us and make us stand up, because they like that part, you know. So, um, and, then they, and then when I get home, I get in big trouble for saying this stuff. But, uh, so anyway, if you guys would stand seriously and just, uh, uh, my wife, Helen, and uh, our son, Jeffrey. Jeffrey's uh, our youngest of five. And uh, a lot of time, kids are just kind of along for the ride because they don't have any choice. But Jeffrey, that's not the case. He's, uh, he's really part of the ministry, and uh, he uh, has been a blessing to I always call him my right-hand man, and he, he truly is. And it's a, it's a blessing to have him and to see his heart to, to really serve the Lord. That's a, that's a blessing for, for us, uh, just as parents, to see him, to see him serving the Lord. So we're missionaries to Belarus. We've been and really the former Soviet Union because we've served in Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine over the last 19, almost 20 years. And we, uh, we really counted a privilege that the Lord has allowed us to be able to, uh, to do that and, and to, to stick around that long. But in March, as most of you know, the, the war started in Russia, and that, that was kind of the culmination of a lot of things that were happening in Belarus because really, uh, it started in, in 2020, in August of 2020, there was a, an election in Belarus, a presidential election, and there was a, uh, this will sound familiar, but there was a lot of fraud involved in that election. And so there were, there were these protests that took place. Uh, they were peaceful protests, truly peaceful protests, and uh, the government sent out the, uh, the uh, riot police, and, they, and for the whole summer, and most of the fall into the cold temperatures, they would meet, uh, they, they would rally every Sunday for these protests, and every Sunday the uh, riot police would come out. And for all those weeks and months, they literally beat the people into submission. And so, from, so that was the kind of the beginning of, of the trouble there. And there was a man who was the, he was kind of the organizer. He used a uh, uh, you know, social media app to organize all of the rallies and the different things that took place at different times where everybody should be and show up. And so he was kind of considered the ringleader. And when, uh, toward the end of these protests, he left the country and uh, kind of exiled himself. And then it was, um, when was it? Was it April? May. So May, he was flying from uh, Greece to uh, Lithuania, to Vilnius, Lithuania, Part of that flight was in Belarusian airspace. And when the plane was in the Belarusian air, airspace, uh, fighter jets intercepted it, told the pilot that there was a bomb on board the plane. They had a bomb threat. And so they diverted the plane to the Minsk airport in, in Belarus. They aborted the plane, arrested that man and his girlfriend, and then sent the plane on its way. And so that was, that was step two. The, uh, the, the, the fraudulent election and the riots was the beginning of sanctions by Europe against Belarus on exported and, imp- and imported materials or items. And then when, when this happened, Europe closed, uh, closed all European planes, closed the airspace in Belarus, basically. No, no European planes were allowed in Belarusian airspace and the Belarusian airlines were not allowed into Europe. And so that essentially closed the country off completely because at that time, COVID restrictions were still in place on the ground, 
and so there was no way to exit uh, except to go through Russia. And, and, and so it really essentially closed the country off. Now, we returned. We, we were home for a planned furlough in 2020. And uh, like so many others, we got, uh, we got stuck with this COVID. And it wasn't until January 2021, the end of, the, end of January, we went back to, to, to Belarus. And we, we kind of got in before all that other stuff happened. But then uh, it just seemed like every week it was something. And it was building and building. And then the air embargo took place. And, and then Putin in the spring uh, began to make that big buildup of, of the of the war machine on the on the Ukrainian border, and then Russian troops actually were in Belarus uh, at the northern border of uh, Ukraine, and that's where the initial invasion to try and uh, take Kiev came from. It came out of Belarus, and so since then, the southern third of Belarus has been used by the Russian army to stage their their war machine. Their their and just recently, uh, Belarusian troops. Have, they haven't gone into Ukraine yet, but they've joined Russia on the border there. And uh, so there's, there's quite a bit of uh, uncertainty there. But it was, it was a week after the war started that uh, we decided that we needed to come home. Our pastor felt it was best that we, that we do that. And part of the reason for that was it wasn't so much uh, the war itself or the danger of that, but it, but it had more to do with the financial difficulties. Uh, that was the that was the last shoe to drop as far as these sanctions took place. Is I think there's four banks in Belarus that can still operate that aren't uh, closed because of the uh, sanctions that took place. So it became hard to get to get cash, and that's the only way we had had available to get money. Of course, was cash through uh, through an ATM machine or through a bank account and wire money. We could do it that way as well. But those avenues became uh, very difficult to find, first of all, machines that had cash at all. And then they instituted, uh, all of the banks instituted a 20% tariff on any, uh, on any withdrawals from a foreign card. So for example, to, to take $100 out, it, cost, uh, it would cost $120 to do that. And then they also imposed a uh, $200 limit per week on withdrawals. And so it just became very difficult to try and live there and, and operate and function under those conditions. And the thing that kind of made us decide that it was time to go is the, the, the Russian, or the, I'm sorry, the American embassy uh, sent us a letter, uh, you know, through their emergency system that we signed up to be on that said that they left the country and their, the embassy was closed indefinitely and they recommended everybody leave that could and while they still could. And so uh, when, when that happened, I, I talked to my pastor and he said, well, it's better to just uh, come on home for now. And so that's, that's, why, that's why we're here. That's what got us here. And we're, we are unsure whether we can go back or not. There's a lot of things that are uh, big question marks. The war, uh, it's probably not going to end tomorrow. You know, probably won't end next month. And so this could be a really long, drawn-out thing. And so we, we're just seeking what the Lord would have us do next. We are certainly open to go back. If that door opened up, we would certainly do that. But we're also praying about it. Now, Pastor mentioned the Cayman Islands. We were there for three weeks just helping a church there that did not have a pastor. And they asked whether uh, we would consider you know, being a candidate for that. And so that's a possibility, but we don't know what the Lord will do there. 
And, you know, you were mentioning the money, Pastor. I, I went there to make a withdrawal, and I didn't have any there. It was all gone. Somebody spent it or something. I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> it just, it's how it worked. But um, so that's kind of what has happened uh, with us and what's brought us to this point. So we would certainly appreciate it if you guys would pray for us, that the Lord would give us wisdom and clear direction as to what the next steps are, whether it's to continue our ministry uh, in Belarus or, 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 you know, places like that in the former Soviet Union or somewhere else. But if you'd just pray with us about that, and we have some prayer cards on the back table, so if you would take one of those just kind of to remind you um, uh, of us and just to pray for us, we would uh, certainly appreciate that uh, very much. So I want to, um, if you would, turn to Judges chapter number 7. Judges chapter number 7. And we'll read the first, uh, first seven verses there tonight. Chapter 7 and verse number 7, or 1 through 7. So the Bible says, Then Zerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of uh, Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into, the, into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. And isn't that a fact? The pride of man always seems to get in the way of God's work, doesn't it? And, and so God is trying to remove that factor. Uh, verse 3, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many, Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with you, with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people onto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. And likewise, everyone that boweth down upon uh, his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees and drank. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man Onto his place. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these folks that have taken time to, uh, to come uh, from work and other places, Lord, and just to, to hear your word. I pray, Father, that you would bless your word, that you would use these words that are spoken, that they would be exactly the words that you'd have spoken, and Lord, that you would just uh, use them to be a blessing and a help. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to talk about today is, is uh, weapons that win. Weapons that win. And we know the story of, of Gideon here, but every time I read this, I think about it as the 32,000 men dwindles more and more. You know, I think about 22,000 going home, and I can almost see Gideon thinking, well, at least I still have 10, right? Uh, there's still hope. 
and then he separates, you know, the 300 over here and the rest over here. And I could, if I was Gideon, I'd be saying, oh, please, please, let it be the bigger group, you know. And it turns out, of course, to be the smaller group. And so Gideon is, you know, so the question is, now the army of the Midianites was 120,000. And so the question is, can 300 men defeat an army of 120,000? And so if you look at it from this standpoint, um, Gideon had God on his side, and so the answer is yes, he could. But it was dependent on something, and it was dependent on Gideon doing exactly what God told him to do and to do it in exactly the way that God told him to do it because any variation from that would, uh, would lead to failure and not success. But following God's instructions would be success. And, you know, we today, we, we live in the last days. We live in dangerous times. We were just talking about the war and the different things. Uh, but even more than that, Satan himself is very active. Many Christians, many missionaries have quit and, and gone on to something else, and churches are, are closing. And these are the last days. They really are. And uh, so how can a Christian expect to have victory in these difficult days? The same way that Gideon found victory, and that is that we need the weapons that win. We need the weapons that win. And God's weapons, they aren't conventional weapons. When we think about weapons, you know, we think about guns, knives, you know, tanks, that kind of stuff, like, like, what, they're, like what they're using in Ukraine and, and, and that. But those aren't God's weapons. God doesn't use knives and bombs and guns and things like that. But God's weapons always win. They do. God has used weapons like frogs and flies and lice and hornets and fire and hail and boils, all these kind of things. These are God's weapons, not the weapons we would think of, not the weapons we would choose, but they were and are weapons that win. And so there's, there's a few things that I just want to look at here concerning Gideon and, uh, and this, uh, this passage here. And first of all is that there was God's call. And that was the most important thing to begin with is that Gideon was called of God to do this task. It's not something that he just took up and decided to do. But we see that in chapter 6, verse 11 through 14, that's the call of God to Gideon. When, when he chooses Gideon, he says, you are going to, uh, to free Israel from the bondage of these Midianites. But the Midianites had this army of 120,000 men. And these were, these were trained soldiers, battle-hardened, with all the weapons of war. And they had been trained to use those weapons. And Gideon, Gideon had the 32,000 to begin with, and then later 300. But these were untrained men. They were not soldiers. They did not have weapons to fight with. They were not trained with weapons of war. They were just men. But God chose Gideon. And by choosing Gideon and by Gideon answering that call, that was the first step to victory. And so if we want to have victory in our life, then we have to be like Gideon and be obedient to God's call. Be obedient to the things God tells us to do and the way he leads us. And so there's the call. And then we read that about how the army was, if you will, condensed. So God condensed the army. It went from 32,000 
to 300 men. Uh, it's interesting, 120,000, 32,000, well-trained, untrained, and God says there's too many of them. 32,000 is too many. And the reason was because of the pride of man. Because if they, look what we, you know, if they would have won, they'd have said, look at all that we did. Look how we, we defeated that army. So God put them in a position where the only way they could have won is if God did it, if God had done it. And a lot of times, God does that with us. He puts us in a place where we're forced, like Gideon was, like those 300 men were, we're almost forced to trust God. There's nothing else to do. I guess we trust God. You know, it shouldn't be our last resort. But a lot of times it is, isn't it? Sometimes because we want to figure everything out. We want to have everything worked out ahead of time. But God condensed that army. He, he took, he took 22,000 away. And then there were 10. And then he took 300 of that 10,000 and said, these are the ones. These 300 men are the ones that, are gonna, that we're going to use to deliver the Gideons. See, with the 300, now God could use them. Now God could use them because their faith was in God. Their trust was in God. There was nothing else to trust, right? I mean, if they didn't trust God, if God didn't, didn't do it, they were going to be slaughtered. They would be defeated in minutes. And, and so they had to trust God. But the 300 men trusted God, and then God honored their faith. God honored the fact that they trusted him, that they put their trust in him. And then, and this is where I want to spend the bulk of my time. Look at chapter 7, verse 16. God gave Gideon and those 300 men weapons that win. And so if you look at verse number 17, or chapter 7, verse uh, seven, or 16, sorry, it says there, uh, and he divided the 300 men into three companies and put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. So God gave them three weapons. Now, they wouldn't be the weapons we would choose or even think, would it? But he gave them a trumpet, gave them a pitcher, and gave them a lamp. And those three weapons were the weapons that won. Now, I think that the men, those 300 men, were quite fearful to begin with. And then when they saw the weapons they had, that must have been difficult too. But let's give Gideon credit for obeying God, but let's give those 300 men credit for trusting that God had called Gideon and that, and, and that this was God's plan. And each one of them had to obey to be successful, but God gave them weapons that win. And let's look at these three weapons just kind of quickly individually. But first of all, he gave them a pitcher, a pitcher. Now, when we say a pitcher, what do you mean by that? It's just simply an earthen vessel. That's what it was. It was a clay, it was a clay vessel, probably, uh, probably uh, fired and, and hardened to use as a pitcher and made from the earth. And guess what? You and I, that's all we are. We're earthen vessels. We're made from the earth. We came from the earth. And so that's, that's what God uses. He uses the earthen vessel. He uses us. We're like that pitcher. We're not much. I mean, if you think about it, without, without God, there's not much we can do. 
Without God, we're destined to fail. But he gave us this pitcher, and it was a simple vessel because it was made of clay. It was made of, it was made of the earth. And uh, God uses the weak things of the world to accomplish his purposes. He does. And, and now he'll use our talents and all, all those kind of things, I understand, but it's the weak things of the world that God uses. And so it was a very simple vessel. It wasn't of gold or silver or some precious metal or some expensive type thing, but it was a very simple clay picture, uh, p- picture rather. Simple things, common things, ordinary things, plain things. Those are the kind of things that God uses. And what does that tell us? That tells us that God uses ordinary people like you and I. All we have to do is be willing. All we have to do is be obedient. All we have to do is trust God like Gideon did. Gideon, God said there's 300 earthen vessels here that I'm going to use to defeat an army of 120,000. And that's all, and that's a, that's a real encouragement to us that God will use the simple, the simple earthen vessel like you and I are. And it doesn't, we don't have to be fancy, we don't have to be the most talented, but we have to be willing. We have to be obedient. And so here's something else about it. Look at verse 19 of this chapter, 19, verses 19 and 20. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the watch, and they put down, newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, and what did they do with the pitchers? They, bro- they break the pitchers that were in their hands. And so the other thing about it, it's simple, it's plain, it's ordinary, it's a common thing, but it had to be broken. It had to be broken. And so us as earthen vessels, we're plain, we're simple in all those things, but we have to allow God to break us. We have to allow God to break our will. We have to allow God to break our pride. We have to allow God to break us down so that he can build us back up. I remember when my son uh, entered the army and he, he went to basic training. After he came back, he told me about it. But he said they, they, put, you know, they put him on a bus and they shipped him out to Fort Knox, Kentucky, to the base there. And he said the second they got off the bus, the drill sergeants were in their faces. And they, were, and they were giving them the what for and hurry up and do this and do that. And about halfway through the basic training, they got an, I, an R&R and uh, families could come visit them for the weekend. And, and uh, we, we got back there. We were able to visit, spend some time with them. We brought them back. And, uh, and, and just to listen to those guys and the way they just dealt with those soldiers and you know, the, 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 the rule was the first guy out, the first guys out did push-ups until everybody was out. You know, and so the idea was everybody get out fast because nobody wants to do push-ups for 20 minutes, right? And so this one guy gets out there and the drill sergeant says, hey, it's good to see you back again. Start doing the push-ups. And, and so he, he stopped, you know, and he raised himself up, you know, like this to rest. And the drill sergeant looks at him and says, do push-ups. Don't call attention to yourself. You know, and, and just the way they, and what were they doing? They were breaking these guys down so that they could train them and build them back up the way they needed to be to be successful in war. And for my son, it, all that training paid off. He spent five years in the Iraq, uh, fighting in the Iraq war. 
and he came back alive, and a lot of it was because of his training. And so God will break us down, not because necessarily he's angry with us or he doesn't like us or something, but he breaks us down to build us up to prepare us for what he has, the purpose and, the, and, and the, the direction that he has for our life. And so the breaking is an important part of the serving aspect. And so the, 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 it had to be broken. The vessel had to be broken. Man's pride must be humbled. God stated that to Midian. If, if, if the 32,000 do it, they'll think they did it and they'll take all the credit for it. But with 300, they'll give God the credit. They'll be humbled. Their, their will will be broken. And through the trial and through the testing, God humbles us. He breaks our will. And then he builds us back up and prepares us for the great things he has for each one of us. But if we don't let him break us, then God can't accomplish his will in our life. And so the, the, it had to be broken. The pitcher had to be broken. And here's another thing about the pitcher. The pitcher was going to have a lamp inside of it, right? So what does that tell you about the pitcher? It had to be empty. There couldn't be anything else in it. And so we have to, as these earthen vessels, we have to empty ourselves so that God can put in his, into us all the things that he needs us to that he needs to do to accomplish his purpose. We have to be empty of our sin. We have to confess our sin. We've got to clean that out. We've got to empty ourselves of our flesh. We've got to get the flesh out of the way and we have to empty ourselves of our own desires. And the things we want to do and all of our dreams. If we'll give those dreams and those things and those desires and everything to God, then God will do something with us. And oftentimes when we give those to him, he gives them back. But he wants you to give it to him first. He wants you to, to be broken and he wants you to be empty. We have to empty ourselves of that desire, of that flesh and that sin, but also of ourself. Because, you know, I, I've said this many times, my worst enemy is who? Myself. When, if God doesn't accomplish something in my life, it's not because God failed. It's because I couldn't get self out of the way. It's because I couldn't get out of God's way. It's because I was holding back on something. You think about, um, I think about Ezekiel when, uh, when he went into the temple and he scratched on the wall and he found the hidden door. You remember that? And he opened the door and inside there on the walls were these images of all of the unclean things that Israel was forbidden to touch or eat or have in their presence, all those things were in that room. And you know, sometimes we have one of those secret rooms in our heart. And we have all that stuff stored away, hid away. Nobody sees it. But God sees it. And God knows it's there. And God needs that room cleaned out so that he can use us and do all that he can for us and with us and through us. And so we have to clean ourselves out. We have to get rid of sin, the flesh, the desires, the self. All of those things have to go and uh, empty those things so that we can have more love for God and the love of God can be in us. 
And so we have to be emptied, just like these pictures had to be emptied, for that lamp to go inside of it. So let's look at the lamp. The lamp was inside the pitcher. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, if we could just go over there, just read, some, read this verse to you together here. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says there, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So the lamp is inside the pitcher. We're the light of the world. The light of the world is inside of us, right? It's inside of our empty pitcher. Uh, we are that light that Jesus is speaking of. Now, the world can't see the light, just like in Gideon's case. The light didn't shine until the pitcher was broken. The world can't see the light in us until we're broken. Until we're broken and we let God's light shine through us. And so this lamp, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, look with me, John 8, verse 12. John 8, 12, um, Jesus said, Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is that lamp that's inside us. He's the light of the world. The light is inside of us. And look back to John chapter 1 for a moment with me. John chapter 1, verse 4. John 1 and verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then verse 9, he, he was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So the light of Jesus, the light of God, the light of the world is inside of us. But we have to allow our lamp to be broken, or I mean our picture to be broken, so the lamp can shine. So the world can see the Lord Jesus with us. Now the Spirit of God, we know that. When we're saved, the Spirit of God indwells us, lives in us. But we can have the, we can have the Spirit in us, but not be filled with the Spirit. See, we need to be filled with the Spirit so that that light can shine through us. He lives in us. Uh, and uh, we must give ourselves to Him. And allow Him to shine through us. And that's, and that's the, the, the power of a testimony. But uh, I get a little ahead of myself there, but we need the Spirit's power to do the Lord's work. So just like Gideon in this situation here, when you just look at it, just, just look at it plainly, 120,000 men, battle-hardened trained soldiers, 300 men, no, no, no training, no weapons. Just looking at it, at first blush, who's going to win? The army of 120,000 men. But what's the difference? The 300 men have God on their side. See, and that's the difference. And we need the Spirit's power to do the Lord's work the same way Gideon and his 300 needed the power of God to do the work. See, and actually, and we'll see that later, but they didn't do much except break a few pictures and shine a few lights. And, and really, God did the rest. But, the, but the, the key was, is that they obeyed. And they did it God's way. 
and every step of the way. But we have to have that spirit and to have that spirit, uh, that, that, the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we have to empty ourselves so the spirit can come and can fill us and can, and, and, and can uh, put that power of God through that so that Jesus can shine through us. When the pitcher is broken, then the people around us will see the light. But we have to let the pitcher get broken, so the, and then the lamp will burn bright. And so there's a pitcher, and there's the lamp, and then the third thing was the trumpet. And, you know, these are odd weapons. But the trumpet, so, what, so a trumpet is a symbol of the gospel. A symbol of the gospel. It's used to do what? It's used to, to, to sound a warning. And that's what, that's what the Christian does, is sounds a warning to the lost of the coming judgment, of, of, their destin, of their destination if they don't trust Christ as their Savior. And so the, the symbol of the gospel, to warn people, to warn people about hell, and it's our responsibility to do that. God gives us that responsibility. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33 with me. Ezekiel chapter 33 and uh, verse number 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from, from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. And so it is our responsibility. God gives us that responsibility to sound that warning, to tell the lost person of their destiny, to tell the lost person of the terribleness of, of that place called hell that they will go. It's our responsibility, and God will hold us responsible if we fail to, to uh, fulfill that responsibility. The trumpet is it, it's, it's to warn the people a symbol of the gospel, but the trumpet is a heralder. It's a heralder. And you know, the heralder of the good news of the gospel. That's the trumpet, to give the good news of the gospel. And you know, that's what the word gospel means, is good news. And it's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the fact that, that those that believe in him will have eternal life and, and go to heaven, and, but it's our responsibility to tell them. Because how will they hear without what? A preacher. And that's us. And so we've got to blow our trumpet. And we've got to, we've got to sound the gospel. We've got, to herald, we've got to herald the good news to those that are coming. We must tell the lost that Jesus is coming soon. 
Because he is. He's coming very soon. And uh, we must tell people that. We must warn them. In order to do that, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians 14, verses 8 and 9. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, so, so, so likewise ye except ye utter... Uh, we'll skip. I don't know why I have that verse on there. Um, but any, anyway, the, the, the point being that the trumpet makes an uncertain sound. Verse number 8 there. Uh, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? So we have to take heed that our trumpet doesn't give an uncertain sound. In other words, that the way we're walking and living is matching what we're telling people. That we're not hypocritical. That we're truly, what, that we're truly who, we, who, we're, who we're saying we are. The trumpet represents your testimony. My testimony. And we have to ask ourselves, is it clear? People looking at us and our testimony, is it clear to them that we are Christians? Is the message clear? If we, if we witness to somebody, does it, does it ring true? Or does it not ring true? There was a man that used to tell me about this guy in, in Belarus, and he'd say that he, uh, uh, he talks a lot, but he does little. That's a trumpet that doesn't ring true. And so we have to make sure that our trumpet, that our testimony rings true. Remember Lot. Remember Lot. Vexed his righteous soul. And if you read uh, Genesis 19 here, and if we read that verse 14, something uh, very telling we see there, and that is, and Lot went out and spake to his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Get you up out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Now look at the last part, their response. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-laws. They thought he was joking. Because this is probably the first time he ever said anything about the Lord and spent the rest of the time living like everybody else in Sodom and Gomorrah, and when it came time to sound the alarm and the warning, his trumpet made an uncertain sound. And you know, even King David, King David committed that horrible uh, sin with, uh, with Bathsheba and then tried to cover it up and get Uriah to go on to his wife so that he'd think it was his child. And when that didn't work, he had Uriah killed. And then he took Bathsheba for his wife and she bore a son, and everything looked legitimate. But God knew different. And you know, when, when, Sam, when um, Nathan came to him and pointed the figure and said, Thou art the man, Nathan told David that he had given occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. His trumpet made an uncertain sound, and it gave the enemies of God cause to blaspheme God because his testimony was so poor at that moment. And, and so we have to make sure that our trumpet gives a certain sound, that our trumpet, that our testimony is 
clear and what we say matches what we do. How we live is seen by others to be consistent with what we say. And that's very important. But God had a great victory that day against the Midianite army. It wasn't, Gideon didn't have the victory. The three men, 300 men didn't have the victory. Israel didn't have the victory, but it was God that did it. He divided those 300 men into three groups of 100. And each one had a pitcher, a lamp, and a trumpet. And they went and they spread out around the camp. And they took that trumpet in one hand and they broke that pitcher. The light began to shine. They blew the trumpet of God. They shouted the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And the enemy was, was, was frightened. They were confused. They didn't know what was happening. And they turned their swords on each other and Three groups of a hundred just stood there and watched God win with his weapons. They just stood there and watched. They didn't do a thing. And you know, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. In, in, in Romans, I believe it is. He says we are more than conquerors. You know what that means? That means that all the battles are won for us. We are already conquerors if we'll just let God use us. And all they did is stand around and watch. The pitchers broke, the lamps shined, the trumpets blew, they shouted, and the enemy killed each other, turned their swords on each other, while they watched, the enemy, while they watched God destroy the enemy. God did everything. And they didn't do anything except one thing. You know what they did? They obeyed God. They followed God's plan. As silly as that might have seemed, and I'm sure it did seem silly when uh, Gideon was handing out the weapons, they what are we going to do with these? You know? What, what's this for? Don't worry, I'll tell you. And then he tells us, is this for real? You know, can you think about it? Think about being in that position. But they believed Gideon had gotten the message from God, and imagine Gideon having to tell him that. Here, this is what we're fighting with, guys, and here's what we're doing with it. But they all believed God. And then they watched God win with his weapons. We get into trouble when we try to use our own weapons, when we think we have better weapons, when we think we have better methods, when we think we can do something a little different that might work a little better. But, it, but God did everything, and God will do everything for us if we'll use weapons that win. And we have these weapons, don't we? We have the light. We have the Son of God. We, have the, we, we are the vessel. The Spirit of God lives in us. And it's there and it's possible to use. And we have, the vo we have a voice. We have a testimony, the trumpet. We can tell people and we can live right. Our picture has to be broken. The light of Jesus will be visible. The light will shine on the lost. And then our trumpet must be clear. The lost will see our testimony. They'll hear our words. They'll believe our testimony. They'll believe our witness. And if God can use Gideon and those 300 men to do what he did, then God can use us to accomplish the things that he wants 
in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for the timeless word of God that we can go to and learn so much. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that you'd help us to use these weapons that you've given us, these weapons that win every time. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, uh, work in our hearts and help us to be obedient to you and to keep ourselves ready and able to be used by you. And I pray, Father, these things in Jesus' name. Amen.